In this episode, I continue the Polyvagal 101 audio masterclass by doing a deep, deep dive into the state of safety and social engagement. My name is Justin Sinceri. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist obsessed with the polyvagal theory. Welcome to Stuck Not Broken. We've got some interactive exercises in this episode. Please don't be, you know, following along while you're driving. You can listen, of course, but uh, don't be, you know, doing anything unsafe, basically, if you're driving. Before I go further into things, please put yourself first. I do keep every episode as safe as I can, but just by the nature of the topics, you may experience some stuff come up. So take a break if you need to. I am discussing safety, so I don't think there's really any triggering content that I can recognize. Um, Unless you are a 49er fan like I am, there will be some highly triggering content coming up, uh, sadly. This podcast is not therapy, nor is it intended to be a replacement for therapy. During this episode, you might hear uh, from a friend of ours, Deb Dana. I interviewed her a couple times, and she's just the perfect person to hear from when it comes to talking about safety and social engagement. It's in her voice. It's in, well, it's just in her completely. So you may hear be hearing from Deb Dana. Let's do an exercise here, and I want you to listen to your body and how your body reacts to this the sound that I'm going to play for you. You don't have to close your eyes if you don't want to, but um, it might help you focus. And I want you to notice how you feel specifically in your face, your chest, and your gut. And notice if there's any shifts in there or in your muscles or in your breathing. Just notice if you, if you have any shifts there, any changes in feeling, any changes in relaxation or tension. Okay, let's do the same thing. Uh, Again, just listen to how you feel in your body, in your face, your chest, your gut. How do you feel? What sensations are happening within you? So listen inward, close your eyes if you want to. So what differences did you notice between the first one and the second one? For me, it's a significant difference. The first one is more of a tense sort of experience. I hold my breath. My my breathing becomes more shallow, especially when compared to the second one. I played that out loud. My son was in the room. He's five. And when he heard it, his body stopped and he listened. And so he, he tensed up. He tensed up. His, his body detected danger just in the sound but he was ultimately safe and he could ask me hey what's going on over there what are you listening to and he came and check it out but that's i think that's a pretty typical reaction is the first one you'll probably feel more tense and the second one you might feel more safe you might feel more relaxed or more a pleasant kind of place your breathing might be easier you might be more likely to smile and the second one if that's true you've experienced at least a little bit of the ventral vagal state of safety and social engagement. 
The ventral vagal state of safety and social engagement, that is the kind of the long uh, phrasing for, I suppose. Often you may, have, you may hear this being referred to as ventral. Deb Dana calls it uh, ventral. I call it safe and social, the safe and social state oftentimes here on the podcast. And the long-winded version would be the ventral vagal state of safety and social engagement. This is one of two parasympathetic autonomic nervous systems. The other one is for immobilization. The other uh, parasympathetic ANS branch is uh, for immobilization. And then we're, I'm going to go over that one in uh, two or three episodes from now. The ventral vagal is the other one, though. And that one is the newest evolutionary branch. It's, it is exclusive to mammals, and that includes us. This unique autonomic nervous system uh, pathway allowed the teeny tiny mammals back in a world dominated by reptiles to be able to survive. It gave them specific survival advantages. And one of those is to be able to stay in, in a family or, or in, a, in a herd. And that's as mammals evolve, we are the only ones that have families and herds, as far as I know, that we stay in tribes or, or herds or families. The polyvagal theory, it's all about evolution. It's all about survival when it comes down to it. And us mammals, again, we have these unique pathways that are specific just to us. Those specific pathways are the ventral vagal pathways. And there's lots of benefits that these pathways bring to us mammals. And we're going to go over those in a lot of detail in a, in a bit. One of those is the benefit to health and to safety. Well, the health that comes along with being in the state of safety. When we're in our safe and social state, that means that we can facilitate health, growth, and restoration. This is in contrast to being in a state of defense where our resources are going to be utilized for defense, for evasion or aggression or conservation. No, when we're in our safety state, we use those resources for health and growth and restoration. Traumatized individuals, so those who are in a stuck defensive state, have higher rates of other problems because they're redirecting necessary resources. They have higher rates of social, emotional, and behavior problems. They have shorter lifespan, increased suicidality, and diabetes, and heart disease, lung cancer, autoimmunity, all kinds of stuff. Their bodies are utilizing resources for defense and not resources for safety and connection and social engagement, which is really those ventral vagal pathways. That's what they do is they allow for social engagement, social connection. It's extremely important for mammals. In this state, our biology is fundamentally different. You, you might have felt that those shifts in those, those clips that I played earlier, you may have felt some biological shifts happening within you. In this state, we can take nice full breaths. We can fill our bellies with air and just relax and let it out slowly. Our heart rate slows down in this state. Our saliva and our digestion are stimulated. If you're not in your safety state, your, your mouth actually might go dry. This happens a lot when I do uh, presentations. Even though I feel safe, I'm, I start to lose some access to it. And I notice that I need to pause more to take a sip of water or to slow my breathing down and take a, a nice inhale. Like when there, there's, you know, during a participation where someone is speaking and I get a break, then I, that's where I take some really nice slower breaths and, and slow my system down. Feeling safe is absolutely crucial in mammals. It facilitates general health, like bodily functions and hormone release. But it also facilitates cognitive functions, like learning and productivity, critical thinking and problem solving. But safety also facilitates social engagement, uh, like making 
eye contact and utilizing safe touch and being able to play with others mutually, like together. When we're in the safety state, we more efficiently detect cues of safety. So we're better able to discern what is actually safe or not. When we're out of this state, in a defensive state, we kind of see danger everywhere. So we see danger everywhere, but that doesn't mean that we're better at actually identifying actual danger. But in the safety state, we're going to be able to discern what's safe or not more efficiently and identify what's actually dangerous more efficiently. However, the perception of safety overrides the environmental safety. I think I talked about this last week when I used my football reference. Like if you're not into football and you watch a football game, you're going to you're going to have much different reactions or lack of reactions to what's happening on the screen, right? The perception of safety overrides environmental safety. The flight, fight, shutdown states can be triggered even if there's no actual environmental danger. So there was, back in 2011, the NFC Championship game. Yeah, I'm bringing up the 49ers again. This is, a, I think, um, a really good example. So number 10 on the 49ers back in 2011 season in the NFC Championship, it's a a really important game. It's one game away from the final game of the season, the Super Bowl. And number 10 muffed two punts. That means he he didn't catch two punts, and they were turnovers to the other team, which is disaster. It's awful. You don't care about? What do you mean you don't care about this? It seems like I'm I'm picking up just through my, I'm, I'm telling the future here basically, I guess, and picking up through the air that you don't seem to care about. Okay. Well, one of these punts grazed off of number 10's knee. Like it touched him. That, and you, you, if it touches you, then it's, anybody can pick it up. So it grazed off his knee, and then he tried to act like it didn't. And millions of people are watching with multiple camera angles. You don't care still. Oh, I'm see. All right. Well, okay. So the 49ers lost that year and didn't make the Super Bowl because of these, well, in part because of these two muff punts. Okay, so you, you still don't care. All right. Well, so that's my point. These things might mean nothing to you. Even if it makes sense to you, all the terminology I'm using and whatnot and the rules, even if it makes sense to you, you might just be like, yeah, I don't care. For me, it still irritates me. This is 10 years ago. It still irritates me so much that I don't want to say that person's name. I just call him number 10. I still feel upset right now. Now, I wasn't in danger in that moment 10 years ago. Nor am I in danger right now, but I still feel it. I still lose some access to my safety state. I'm still in my safe and social state. I'm good. But I feel shifts happening within me, and I'm far less likely to smile as I think about that. So these shared interests that we have can bring somebody to safety. Like when, if I was to wear a 49er shirt out in public, somebody else who's a fan who has a perception that that symbol or those colors mean something to them in a positive way, that can actually trigger that person's state of social engagement, their their safe and social state. They will spontaneously, they will potentially just say, hey, what's up? Go Niners. That actually happened. We went on vacation this past weekend to Yosemite. We were riding bikes through the the forest. And I was wearing my 49er shirt, and a number of people said, hey, go Niners. It triggered their social engagement. They wanted to smile with me and laugh with me and and make, you know, football-related comments. Uh, So maybe that's not for you. But for for you, maybe uh, would you feel an instant connection with somebody else that you overhear talking about political theory, maybe? Or if you saw somebody reading a Harry Potter book, maybe, would that excite you? Would that make you want to, like, talk to them and say, hey, where are you at? And aren't those so great? And whatever else. 
Harry Potter fans talk about. I don't know what they talk about. That's, see, that's my, my thing. 49ers, your thing might be, Harry, I don't know, Harry Potter. Or maybe you're walking down your, your neighborhood street and you see somebody planting a flower and you're in a gardening. You might spontaneously just want to talk to them. The perception of these things overrides what may or may not be actual danger or lack of danger. Just, just the perception of the 49ers or just the perception of a shared interest like Harry Potter might trigger your, your state of safety and social engagement. Part of this is that we instantaneously socially engage with others. We don't choose to exactly. We, we just feel the impulse to engage with others. When we're in our state of safety and social engagement, we just feel this instantaneous impulse to socially engage. We can become closer to somebody. We, we, we actually close our physical proximity. It's called hugging <laughs> or kissing or holding hands. We can close our proximity. We become closer to somebody who is actually safe or who we perceive as safe at least. Like we, during COVID, we've all been stuck in our homes for over a year now for the most part, more or less. When you first saw somebody after coming out of your home, like when you first saw your parent or that friend or that coworker, did you not feel that impulse to hug or to shake their hand or just to get closer to them? Mercedes and I, she was the co-host of this podcast for quite a while, a very good friend of mine. She pops on every now and then. You'll hear her in the Bad Therapy series that, that uh, I publish here and there. We didn't see each other for over a year. We, well, through Zoom we did, yeah, but in person. The first thing we did, we saw each other was hug each other. We just, we just want to be close when we feel safe with someone who is also safe. In this state of social engagement and safety, we instantaneously, again, make eye contact. We instantaneously make these crinkles in our eyes when we smile or when we're listening we, and we're focusing. There might be these crinkles that form at the corners of our eyes. In this state of safety and social engagement, we instantaneously have more range of facial expressions. We can use our eyebrows more. We can smile, like genuine smile. And this is for me when I'm in my safety state. This is my gauge is how does my smile feel? And when I'm in that state, when I smile, it just feels good. It feels right. It feels clean and easy. But if I'm down my ladder and I try to smile, it doesn't feel genuine. I'm, it just feels fake. It's, uh, it's more, I have to force it. In this state, physical gestures and posture are more relaxed. You're less tense. You can hear human voice and tune out other noises. Now, I don't do this, but you might be someone who goes to a concert or perhaps a rave or a discotheque or, I don't know, just wherever people go that is loud, right? Just some sort of loud event. So that's, that's not my thing, generally. But in these, at these loud events, I have been to a couple of concerts. And even when you're there, you can still hear the person next to you. Even though the, the music is very loud, your ears can still attune to the people next to you or around you. So you, you can tune out other noises and focus on other mammalian voices. And we also have something called prosody. I talked about this last episode. Vocal prosody, which is the stress, pitch, intonation, the pauses, the volume, and the pace of our voices. With vocal prosody, we can use a higher range of voice, like when we ask a question. <laughs> but we can also use a lower range of voice, like when we're being more serious. So prosody is that sing-songy quality of your voice. 
Let's do another exercise. This one's going to be an imaginative, imaginative, sorry, wow, imaginative exercise. It's, it's an exercise in your imagination, okay? <laughs> I have two scenarios for you. The first one, we'll call it uh, scenario one. Close your eyes if you like. So in scenario one, I want you to imagine you're standing in an elevator that is making some sort of mechanical sounds that you can't really identify. You don't know what the heck's going on. You don't know what those sounds mean. There are fluorescent bulbs uh, above you, and they make a slight, just an ever so slight hum, and they fill the elevator with bright white light. The elevator stops and doors open, and there are two people waiting to enter. They're talking, but when they make eye contact with you, they stop. Their eyes are wide, and there's no emotion on their face. So how do you feel right now, if this was you in this situation? Um, how do you feel? If you had your eyes closed, by the way, open them up. <laughs> how do you feel? Um, do you feel more or less relaxed? Do you feel more or less tense? Did this scenario bring you more or less into feelings of safety and social engagement? Are you more or less likely to socially engage with these two individuals? Do you even feel the capacity to do so in this kind of situation? Okay, scenario number two. Close your eyes if you like. Imagine you're sitting on a log in a forest by a slow-moving creek of clear water. You're absolutely draped in shade with just some speckles of light coming through the tree leaf openings. You're sitting there on this uh, moss-covered log and watching... And this is where I want you to fill in the blank. What is it you're watching? No one's around. It's just you and the sounds of nature. A slight breeze keeps you cool. How do you feel right now? In this state, are you more or less relaxed? Are you more or less tense? Are you more or less likely to feel safe and to be able to socially engage with somebody else? If you're like me, there is a significant difference between scenario one and scenario two. Scenario one is definitely more of a defensive state for me. There's a, a tension, apprehension. There's, again, that holding the breath and sort of waiting to see what happens next. Scenario two for me is absolutely a ventral uh, safety state. And I think for most people, forest and shade, uh, sunlight, uh, cool breeze, these things typically, I think for most people, will bring them to. A state of safety will activate those ventral pathways. Whatever you fill the blank in with, keep that in mind. That's going to be important a little bit later on. That's the state of safety and the importance of it, the biology of it. But the daily experience of it might be a little bit different. It might be uh, different for you, maybe something you have not experienced. When we're in this state of safety and social engagement, the world is safe, fun, it's peaceful. It's interesting. It's manageable. It, it, I mean, all these experiences could be a part of being in a ventral state. When something negative happens, it's interpreted as unimportant or as neutral. So, like, we don't assume the worst about someone that cut in front of us in line. We're not going to assume that they're a fill in the blank. We could still be upset, but 
in our mind, as long as we have enough access to that safety state in our thoughts, there won't be a blame or judgment of the other person. We won't, we won't feel personally offended. We might, we might be able to be more empathetic and realize that, well, they got some kids with them and they're really just not focusing and they're, they're uh, distracted by the toddler screaming. And so they had no idea that they cut in front of us. For kids, if one of their siblings teases them, they're not going to react out of defense. They might be able to stay calm and go seek out a parent and say, hey, this so-and-so, this, this character, my sibling, is teasing me and I need some help. Or they might just walk away or they might occupy themselves with something else or they might say, you know, uh, you're not acting very cool right now. I don't need this. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if our, our kids did that? The daily experience of safety, there's feelings of calm and happiness and connection and joy, feelings of motivation and excitement and relaxation. We're able to focus on things uh, more. We're able to plan things out. We're able to weigh our options when we're making a decision, so looking at pros and cons. We become more playful and self-reflective and understanding, like in that example of Someone that cuts in front of you in line, maybe they just have a lot on their mind. So we're more understanding. And like I said last time, story follows state. In the safety state, same thing. Story still follows the state. The stories that we come up with, our, our cognitive thoughts will be more calm and thoughts of hope, of optimism, of curiosity. We'll have thoughts of gratitude and thoughts of just generally pleasant things. So. What I want you to do is recall whatever it was from scenario two that you were sitting on a log in the shade, you were looking at, you were watching something. What was it that you filled in the blank with? I'm going to guess you were probably not watching a rabid animal. I'm going to guess you were probably not watching a zombie or a skeleton or a vampire. (laughs) I'm going to guess you were probably not watching your least favorite politician. No, it was probably something that was pleasant, at least if you were in your state of safety and social engagement in that moment when I asked that question. If so, you probably filled in the blank with something that was pleasant. But if this exercise was a challenge for you and you didn't feel safe, then you may not have. And if you were in that danger state still, Maybe there was uh, like an edge or a mistrust to whatever it was you were watching. Maybe you were watching something peaceful, but there was an edge to it. Like uh, something's going to go wrong here. Maybe this scenario had some elements that brought you to feelings of defense. Maybe the, the pieces that I laid out were not, or one of them, maybe one of them was actually a cue of danger for you from past events in your life. So Maybe you weren't in a safety state and you didn't have that fill-in-the-blank, positive, pleasant, safe thing. But I'm, I'm going to guess you probably did. I'll share, let me share an example of myself uh, in a story that follows state. I am absolutely terrified of heights. And this is something that has become more and more apparent with me. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm, I'm really terrified of heights. And this has been around for quite a while. I remember going to the mall. There was this two-story mall and... Santa Clara, California, called Valley Fair. I believe it's still there. Very hoity-toity. Very posh at this point. I, I, I don't go there anymore. But um, 
there's a second floor and I, and as I would walk toward the rail on the second floor and look over it, I would feel terrified and I would have to back off. I would physically like back off and my I would do that, but I would see my friends be able to walk over there, peer over the edge and smile and they did not have the same reaction I did. So I've always kind of had this fear of heights. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's been there. It's something that was noticeable at least. But more and more I've noticed that when I'm driving and up high, the, oh man, it, the, I really lose access to my safety state. We were driving to Yosemite this past weekend and a pretty good chunk of the drive is your, and I can feel it right now. <laughs> a pretty good chunk of the drive is that you're driving on the side of a mountain, my God. And you can't see over the edge. And this, just seriously, just thinking about it brings me out of my safety state. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good, actually. But uh, I feel that defensive energy come up. There's something about not being able to see over the edge that really just triggers my defensive state. So as I'm driving along these razor edges of streets, basically roads, one lane, by the way, well, back and forth, one lane each. As I'm driving and I'm in my defensive state, I see a house off in the distance, just by itself, basically in a forest on like the side of a mountain. In my defensive state, I start to worry that I'm focusing on it too much and that this will eventually lead to me crashing and dying. Story fell state. I'm in a defensive state, triggered by height. Now my thoughts are going to reinforce that state. They're also attempting to explain the state. So it's just the story falls to state, right? So I know this is not safe for me to drive. It really is just not safe for me to drive uh, up high like this when I can't see over the edge. So my wife steps in and she um, rescues me basically. And I am able to sit in the passenger seat and access my safety state again. The defensive energy kind of subsides. It's still there, but it does subside. Now, when I'm in the passenger seat and I'm feeling safe enough and I can look out, now I'm actually able to appreciate the surroundings. I'm able to see that same house and wonder what it's like to live there. And I'm able to wonder how someone even ends up getting a home that's so perfect and beautiful and so remote. How does somebody even end up living in a forest? Where do you go for that? Who do you talk to about living in a forest? So all these thoughts are going through my mind now. And it's, it's, uh, it's, no, it's no danger. The story follow the, follows the state. So now I'm curious and I'm wondering. And I'm able to look out over the mountain ranges or the valleys in, over the forest. I can see the treetops. And now I'm feeling awe and I'm feeling... Uh, you know, just wonder and curiosity and interest, right? So story fall state. So this is how I know I'm in a safety state. I don't know about you, but for me, because this might be brand new to you. I hear that from people a lot, that this is brand new and I see it in my clients. So I know I'm in my safety state because for me, my breathing just becomes significantly lighter. There's no pressure. There's no rush. There's no... um shallowness to it i can breathe into my belly i can take those full breaths in my belly my thoughts are more hopeful when i'm in a safety state there's energy in my system and it's this playful energy not a stressed out pressured energy which i can definitely get as well but when i'm in my safety state like right now i have kind of a playful energy to to doing this podcasting stuff i'm in my safety state right 
but even with just you know work in general and therapy i'm i have this sort of i can ha- i can have this playful kind of energy i can develop programs or curriculum or resources for you on my website justinlmft.com i can develop these things in a playful kind of energy i know i'm in my safety state because i feel genuinely accomplished and, and achieved or achievement I'm I'm able to play and sing and joke with my kids. I become a lot louder. When I'm in my safety state, I get a lot louder, a lot more playful, a lot more jovial might be the right word. Lots of singing, uh, spontaneity with my kids, using my imagination. I mean, it's basically the opposite of anywhere else and with <laughs> anyone else. I, you know, that's uh, when I'm in my, like really in my safety state, my kids get to see that. No one else really gets to see that. I guess you can hear a little bit of it right now. My friends can see that. My wife can see that. I feel that way around the people that I feel safe with in places that I feel safe at. So how do we achieve this or whatever your version of this is? It's not easy. It is not easy to get there. It's not easy to stay there. It really isn't. So many things can take us out of safety. Media can take us out of safety. Our relationships can take us out of safety. Our kids can take us out of safety. Our jobs can. And it's not that it's these things' fault, but our system reacts to these things and a whole lot more. You know, when there's 24-hour news cycles that are constantly keeping you in a state of danger, that's that's how they profit. They keep you activated. They don't want you feeling safe and cozy and saying, you know what, I'm ready to go to bed and turn this off and I feel good. They don't, they want you to be activated. They need you to be angry or outraged or in fear to keep tuning in, right? Politicians need us to be in fear too. Otherwise, there's kind of no use for them, right? You don't really need them. If we're in fear, we need them. There's a reason to vote for them. There's something they can give us. There's something they can protect us from maybe. There are things that are constantly taking us out of our safety state. Even if we're literally safe, other things can take us out of that safety state. Small moments are better than nothing, though. Small moments of safety are better than nothing. Deb Dana calls these glimmers. And it's possible to turn these glimmers into glows. So the glimmer is that micro <laughs> moment of ventral vagal yeah. experience that, that truly is like you know 10 20 seconds that's that that is its its purpose is to simply 10 20 seconds of oh there's a glimmer oh there's one right and then if we can on the days when we have a little more space and a little more resilience in our system if we can notice a glimmer and hang out with it and really just invite it in let it fill us and spend some time and and listen to the story then it becomes a glow identifying these glimmers it's a very individual thing. I don't think that one thing is the same for all of us as far as what brings us to safety. There might be some things that are are universal, sure, but what those look like I think is very, very different per individual. Like, you know, being in a forest in the shade or on a sunny day, being on a beach, those are probably typical things, the sound of waves crashing. Those might be typical universal things that bring us to safety. But for you, you might like it less than I do, or maybe not at all. So there's probably things that are universal-ish. But do they look the same person to person? No, I don't think so. 
can we identify what brings us to safety and then really mindfully attune it and, and attune to it and try to expand that experience. So next I'm going to talk about what we need for safety and how there can actually be danger in safety. But first I want to tell you about building safety anchors and how this can be of help to you in getting to safety, into your own state of safety. Like this is where building safety anchors can be helpful. Feeling safe is pretty awesome. <laughs> it's something that I think everyone should get to experience. I mean, it's hardwired within us. We should get to experience it, but that's not the reality. We, we all don't get to experience it. And some of us, uh, maybe not at all. And some of us, maybe a little bit. And some of us just need to work at it and figure out what brings us to safety. Maybe we just have no idea. You know, I talk a lot about safety on the podcast, on the blog, on Instagram, but this course is a much more direct approach to figuring out what brings you to safety. It helps you identify what brings you to safety within 30 days and small, small steps uh, every day. Small steps of learning and doing. I didn't want it to be overwhelming because that, well, that takes us out of safety. So building safety anchors is a 30-day program to help you identify what brings you to safety to help identify those, those glimmers that you have or that you are not aware of that could actually help bring you to feeling more in the present moment and more in your body in a safe way. What do we need for safety? You may, again, you may never have felt safe and have no idea. So this is super common for people in therapy. This is not a surprise when it comes up. It's, it's not uncommon, I mean. And if it's common for in therapy, I'm going to guess that outside of the therapy room, it's also common that there's just people that um, are not feeling safe, that are not accessing their ventral pathways and just aren't seeking help for it or aren't realizing that they are um, missing out on those feelings of safety and social engagement. There have to be more cues of safety than danger in order for me to move into ventral. What we need to access these safety pathways is safe people and safe environments. We need both of these things. So do you have this in your life? And you don't have to tell me, but just for yourself, do you have this? And if so, who? Who is safe in your life? Who do you feel safe and trusting and relaxed and comfortable with in your life? Or where? Where do you have safety in your life? If you can identify these, that's a great first step. Hopefully you have one or the other. Ideally you have both. But having one is a heck of a lot better than nothing. In order to have more access to our safety pathways, we have to have ongoing opportunities to interact with safe people in safe environments. So once is great, but ongoing. So having a safe parent in a safe home that we go to every day will bring us more activation of that ventral, those ventral pathways. We need reliable relationships. We need to know that our parents are there and taking care of us, also challenging us, of course. We need to know the rules of the house, the boundaries. We need to have those reliable relations. We need to know that our parents are not going to abandon us, and that, they're, that they're there, that they're safe, that they'll treat us with dignity and respect. So reliable relationships based on give and take. So relationships where we're sharing, listening to each other, giving, uh, taking care of each other's needs. That doesn't mean we're, you know, there's one person buying stuff for the other all the time. That No, it, it's a shared thing where we're looking out for each other. 
Relationships based on empathy, so understanding each other. We need time spent with safe people doing shared activities like play and work. But we can't wait for these things to happen to us. We need to be instrumental in finding our own safety. There is a lot that we can do on our own or with a professional. And then work toward connecting with others as friends or as partners maybe. But I don't think these things just fall in our lap. I don't think these things just happen to us. Setting ourselves up with safe people and safe environments, we we have to be instrumental in that. There is some danger in safety, though. If you're not familiar with the safe and social state, if you're not familiar with those feelings of being in the safe and social state, it may be uh, difficult to access them and stay in those feelings and those sensations. It's unfamiliar. It's it's vulnerable. It's uh, it feels like exposure or or um, unsafe vulnerability. When this individual accesses those feelings, it actually might trigger them right back down their polyvagal ladder into a de- into their defensive state. This is very common in therapy. I see this very very often, where a client will access their state of safety. They'll be able to make eye contact with me and. They'll have a full range of voice. Their cheeks uh, turn pink. They have uh, more facial expression. So they're, they're accessing their state of safety. There's more energy in their system, more positivity, more connection. But it, it's uncomfortable. It's um, too vulnerable. It's too exposing, it feels like. And they go right back down their ladder. And uh, looking at their eyes are always a way to tell because they'll look away. And when they're looking away, once you no longer are making eye contact, that means your state of safety is potentially compromised. I mean, if you look at somebody in the eyes long enough, eventually it becomes uncomfortable and you don't feel that social engagement anymore, right? That's true for all of us. But for some of us, even a little bit of eye contact is too much. And if if we're not used to making eye contact gently and safely, then when we do... It can feel really uncomfortable, and so we go right back down the ladder. I had a client who we'd worked till really long for her to be able to, to really identify clearly what state she was in and what she needed. And so she would come in sometimes and say, Deb, don't use your kind voice today. It's too much for my system. And I'd say, great, I can use this other voice instead. <laughs> Got it. Right. And and I just loved that. She knew that it would overwhelm her system too much of that kindness. So I said, I can be ventral with a different energy because ventral has a lot of flavors. And that's what we want to remember. A lot of flavors, ventral. That's about it, though, for the ventral vagal state of safety and social engagement. I hope that this was helpful for you in learning more about polyvagal theory. Building Safety Anchors is available on my website. And that is justinlmft.com. You can purchase Building Safety Anchors and start your 30 days, well, today. Join me next episode as I delve into the flight, fight, sympathetic state. So we're going to start going into the defensive states. And after that, we'll go into the shutdown immobilization state. But until then, I hope you've learned something new to help you climb your own polyvagal ladder. Bye. This podcast is not therapy, not intended to be therapy or be a replacement for therapy. Nothing in this creates or indicates a therapeutic relationship. 
Please consult with your therapist or seek for one in your area if you're experiencing mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed to be specific life advice. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only. More resources are available in the description of this episode and in the footer of justinlmft.com.